Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Matthew 6, 5 to 12. At the end of this reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. Please kindly respond by saying thanks be to God. Matthew 6, 5 to 12. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be with everyone this morning. I want to um, express my thanks publicly to the leadership of the church for this opportunity. I do not take it for granted um, being able to share God's word with all of us. A special welcome to our visitors this morning. If this is your first time, we hope it won't be your last time. We would love for you to join again with us um, some other time. So what we've been doing basically is we've been in a series in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5 to 7, um, which we've titled Citizens of the Kingdom. And basically, um, we've been looking at characteristics of believers um, who are in the kingdom of God. So we started with um, contrite citizens, and then we moved to persecuted citizens, and then we moved to righteous citizens, then missional citizens, and then uh, broken citizens restorative citizens and wealthy citizens. All those messages are on the um, SoundCloud and I would encourage you to please listen to them. So today we are considering the topic prayerful citizens. Um, You could subtitle it, How Not to Be a Praying Hypocrite. Um, Let's pray. Father, we have song, Lord, that you order our steps in your word. We pray, O God, Lord, that you do that for us this morning. Your word is living and active and is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we ask, O God, Lord, that your word will pierce our hearts. And Lord, in it, Lord, we'll find healing, we'll find motivation, O God, to be your children, to be salt and light in this world. 
help us, Lord God, to hear only you. Help us to see only you. That we might do only that which you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so it's in our nature to want to put our best foot forward. Right? It's, it's part of the reasons. And I know ladies will want my head for this afterwards. But it's part of the reasons why we do makeup. Right? We want to look a certain way. We want to look nice. Now, I said part. I didn't say it's the entire thing. So pardon me. All right, it's also part of reasons why we snap and take certain pictures that are Instagram or Facebook worthy, right? We go through and we screen, and then we pick the ones that we like, and then we delete the ones we do not like. Or maybe back in the day, you were um, someone who used to want to speak a certain way so that people would like you. So I remember this senior I had in secondary school. She used to want to talk uh, uh, like an American, and then she would took hours everywhere. So one day she's praying in fellowship, and then she says something like, Oh, Lord, Father God. And I was, and then I was wondering, is God in a God? Is what she's saying, right? Because she was trying to fake it. Um, so we all want to put our best foot forward. Um, there's, a, there's a funny one. I was at the wedding last week, um, and, you know, the pastor is preaching. I know that happens here too, right? So you don't have to feel ashamed. And then you are, the sleep is coming, but you are, you are trying to push it. I don't want people to see that I'm sleeping, but I want to sleep. So you, you, you assume this posture like, and then you're going like that. And then they come to tap you, no, 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 I'm not sleeping. I'm just meditating, right? And then I like this one from one of Nigeria's famous public theologians. He sung the song, Coughing for Head of State. Who knows what I'm talking about? <laughs> Fela? By the way, so let me thank Pastor Femi. He saved me last week. He was preaching, and then the anointing came, and he wanted to use this illustration, and then God allowed him to have mercy on me. <laughs> so thank you, sir, for not using my illustration. So I'll use it this morning. So Fela did this song in the 80s. Listen to this beat. He says, pastor's house, Nahim they find pass. My people then they stay for poor surroundings. Pastor's dress, Nahim they claim pass. He had for my people for them to buy soap. Pastor, Nahim they give respect pass. And them do bad, 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 bad things. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all the people said? Amen. And, <laughs> Amen. and then he goes on. He says, look at X, Y, Z. Before anything at all, him go they shout, O Lord, O Lord, O Lord, Almighty Lord. O Lord, O God. And them do bad, 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 bad things. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right. Let's come back. <laughs> so we, we all dislike hypocrisy. Right? This, is, this is what Fela is getting to here, that there is something inconsistent with someone who is saying one thing with his mouth and doing something else with his life. We all dislike it. We, we dislike people who speak with fake accents. We dislike people who, who are not them, their real selves, except when it's in our own lives. So we make excuses for it. So we come up with all these really nice catchphrases. Fake it till you make it. 
I want people to see me, you know, like I want to be, not really as I am. But Jesus is showing us that if life is a stage, spiritual hypocrisy is because we are performing for the wrong audience. That's what Jesus Christ is getting at essentially today. And if you forget everything else that I say today, just remember this. Spiritual hypocrisy in our lives is because we are performing for the wrong audience. In fact, the word hypocrisy comes from um, the Greek word hypocritus, which means to act. Right? That's essentially what we are doing when we are hypocrites. So I'd like us to consider this under three headings. Remember, we're talking about prayerful citizens. So three headings. One, prayers contrasted. Prayer modeled and prayer accepted. Prayers contrasted, prayer modeled, and prayer accepted. Let's begin with the first one, prayers contrasted. So we see this in verses 5 to 8. Jesus begins with a contrast, with two sets of contrasts. So he shows us, one, the contrast between the prayer life of the hypocrites and the prayer life of a citizen of the kingdom. We see... One, a contrast of rewards in verses 5 to 6. And then we see a contrast of eloquence in verses 7 to 8. So let's begin with the contrast of rewards, verses 5 to 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So look at these hypocrites. They assume a devotional posture for a publicity reason. And there are many spiritual postures that we assume today that are common among us, you know, especially when we are praying or you're in the public. I want people to feel that, men, I'm praying. So some of us from a certain background, it is shaking our heads vigorously like this. And if you are not doing that, you are not really praying, you know. Or the cooler ones among us that went to a certain school where they have, where they use their sports field for the purposes of prayer, they have invented a posture like Elijah's posture. And then you bend all the way down and put your head between your thighs. Like, man, this guy has gone so far. Sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Q&A after I said this. All right, so the problem with the hypocrites, what Jesus is driving at here is not, is not really, contra- he's not really talking about whether or not we should pray in public, right? He's talking about the motivation behind praying. He's not condemning public prayer, he's condemning a publicity stunt. And the problem with the person who prays this way is that this person really wants people to see him and he's not so much concerned about intimacy with God. Jesus Christ is saying that for citizens of the kingdom, prayer is one that should not be characterized by a publicity stunt or by fellowship with God. So let's test ourselves. Is your private, is your public prayer life more fervent than your private prayer, prayer life? Is it only when you gather, when we gather together like this, that you're pacing up and down and doing all those things, and when, when you get back to your secret place, you're just dozing up and sleeping off? Do you assume certain postures because you want people to think about you in a certain way? 
if we could get a direct phone line to God, and we called God and said, oh God, do you know X, Y, Z? Would God say, who is that? That is what Jesus Christ is driving at here. Jesus emphatically tells us that true prayer is marked by private devotion and fervor rather than a public show and performance. True prayer prioritizes the eternal reward of intimacy with God above the fleeting reward of observance and publicity with men. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that if our life is consistently, um, if our prayer life is consistently marked by public show, our salvation is in doubt. Because it means essentially that we have not come to know who God is for ourselves. Notice again that Jesus Christ uses the um, conjunctive adverb when, whenever, about three times, to show that this prayer is marked by regularity, as opposed to that of, of the hypocrite. So the hypocrite only prays when people are gathered or where people can see, but this person who is a citizen of the kingdom prays regularly because he's driven by intimacy with God. But Jesus doesn't just show us this contrast of rewards. He, he shows us a contrast of eloquence. So we come to verses 7 to 8. And he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And the first thing you might say is, um, he says Gentiles, not hypocrites, so maybe... They're not really the same thing. But we know that in the context of this, of this chapter, verses 1 to 34, Jesus Christ is really talking about hypocrites. So like Pastor Femi showed us last week, he talks about hypocrites in their giving. Today, um, if you move down verse 5 to 12, he's talking about hypocrites in prayer. And then he talks about hypocrites in fasting. And then he talks about hypocrisy in anxiety and worry. So really, it's, it's about hypocrisy. So if... Um, the Gentiles are just a narrower example of, of this broader category of, of hypocrites. So what do these hypocrites do? They approach prayer thinking it's a contest of eloquence. Notice that these ones, these people in this category are slightly different from the other ones. So these ones are not necessarily motivated by public performance. They, they could do it both in the public or in private, but they think that God hears them because of what they say. They're trying to impress God with all the things that they think they should say. But Jesus Christ doesn't now tell us that because these guys are talking so much, you don't talk as much as they do. He's not saying don't pray um, as much as they do. He says rather, know that you are not praying to inform God, but know that you are praying to an already informed God. Jesus teaches us that the eloquence of prayer is not so much in what he said, as much as it is in what is left unsaid. Prayer is profound, not because of the one we are praying to, not because of the one who is praying, rather, but because of the one prayed to. And so, again, Jesus Christ asks us or tests us again, do you approach prayer thinking that you are informing God of what he doesn't already know? Do you think that you have to speak all these many words? You know, you have to use impressive vocabulary. The King James English, thine, thou, arts, and all those other archaic words that nobody really uses because you feel that, wow, God 
God would really trip for my prayers, you know? Or do you feel the need to pray for so long so that God can be impressed and cajoled into doing what you want him to do? In fact, I'll argue that maybe some of our prayers will be shorter if we truly realize that God already knows what we need before we ask him. And it will enable us and free us to run into his presence. So Jesus Christ begins with this contrast to show that the hypocrites pray, one, by motivation, you know, for publicity, and also by motivation to inform God as though they could impress God. But then Jesus doesn't just leave us there and doesn't just say, oh, don't do this. This is how A prays. You don't pray like A, pray like B. He now goes further to show us a model of what true prayer is. And so we'll come to our second point. Prayer modeled in verses 9 to 12. Now we call this the Lord's Prayer. But it's not really the Lord's Prayer as much as it is the Lord's model of prayer. So if you're interested, Jesus, the Lord's Prayer is actually um, the prayer in John 17 where Jesus Christ prays shortly before he um, he goes to the cross. But here he's presenting a model for prayer um, for believers or for citizens of the kingdom. And so if hypocrites pray, again, like we said, to impress God, to impress people, Jesus Christ shows us here in this passage four things that ought to characterize the prayer lives of citizens of the kingdom. And so we start, um, so let me just say the four things. One, this prayer is marked by jealousy for the glory of God. Two, this prayer is marked by jealousy for the advance of God's kingdom. Three, this prayer is marked by, um, acknowledges God as its source. And lastly, this prayer acknowledges the sinfulness of the person praying. So we'll start with that, with prayer modeled. Number one, Jesus showed us that true prayer is a prayer that is jealous for the glory of God. So let's look at verse 9. Verse 9, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we should really pause and stop to think. Because we now live in an age where people use, people talk about God as though God were their homeboy. And maybe even have a t-shirt, Jesus is my homeboy, God is my homeboy. God is not your homeboy. God is God. He is not our fan. We are his fans. He is not seeking approval. We are seeking his approval. And that needs to mark the way that we pray. This is what it means that God is holy. God's holiness does not just refer to his moral perfection, that he is sinless. God's holiness refers to, refers to the otherness of God. So what do I mean by this? God's holiness does not mean that we are on level one down here or minus one or whatever it is, and God is in level 1,000. And so, ah, like this guy is so great. We bow to him. and We just have to worship him. God's holiness means that we are here on level one, and God is in a separate category all by himself. The lawyers will call that sui generis or someone who is in a class all by himself. 
There is nothing that compares to God. There's no one that comes close to God. And this must inform the way that we pray. We don't just come, you know, as though, well, this guy is just really big, or like we are talking to some senator in Abuja, or even the president of the Federal Republic, or even the president of the United States. This person has no one that comes close to him. And so this drives the way we pray. Notice the word used in verse 9b. It says, hallowed be your name. It's a verb. It means that already, so the, the A part acknowledges that God is separate. God is in a category all by himself, our Father in heaven. But B now goes on to say, hallowed be your name. I want this to be the experience of my life. Like, God, I know you are holy, I know you are great, but I don't just want to say with my lips, I want this to be experienced in my life. I want this to become a reality in everything I do. I want it to drive the way I pray. And so Jesus Christ starts with this, that you do not pray through prayer until you know the characteristic, the attributes, the person of the person you are praying to. And this is where we must begin. If we are truly going to be praying like citizens of the kingdom, we are not going to be praying like hypocrites. We must begin in acknowledging that God is separate. God is different from us. God is other. Nothing compares to God. No one sustains God, sustains God. God sustains all things. And we need him. We need him. We need his holiness to be the, the defining attributes of our lives. But then he goes on. In verse 10, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we see the link. That if we begin with a jealousy, a desire for the holiness of God to become experienced in our lives, we don't just want it to remain in our lives. We want it to be publicly acknowledged all over the world. And so this is what this prayer is driving at. And you might ask, what is the kingdom of God? We have a whole series of Theology Day um, lectures, teachings on that topic. So you can check it out on SoundCloud or ask Demi for the link. But in sum, the kingdom of God is the dominion of God, the rule of God, um, which, was, which starts with the person of Christ, but ultimately will end um, when Jesus Christ comes to consummate his kingdom. And so in a sum, the kingdom of God is the will of God, the dominion of God, the rule of God. And Jesus says that true prayer is a prayer that wants this rule to become expressed in the earth. It is, if you permit me to use that oft-used phrase, heaven invading earth. And by that, I do not mean a flurry of spiritual activities like, ah, people are falling down here, bah. You know, there's anointing, there's healing, somebody's... Those things are fine, those things are demonstrations of the kingdom. But really, it means that um, the kingdom of God or the rule of God becomes publicly expressed across our world. And this is a mark of true prayer. It is not a prayer as though we're helping, we need, God needs us to build his kingdom. Like, so we now come before the presence of God and we are praying like, oh, well, we really need to help this God to build his kingdom. Why? Because God has already said that he will do this. So we see, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, 
Isaiah sees God and he says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Or in Habakkuk 2.14, Habakkuk the prophet says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. So God has already promised to do this. God has already said he will do this. He will build his kingdom. He will cause his rule and dominion to fill the earth. So when a true citizen of the kingdom prays, you are not praying to begin to cajole God to do something that he doesn't want to do. You are praying because God has already said he will do this. And you are asking simply that God, what you have said that you will do, what you have asked, what I have asked to experience in my life, do this in our world. Do this in our nation. Do this in our church. Do this in our city. This is the true prayer of the citizen of the kingdom. And so we should begin testing ourselves again. If you've been abstaining from kingdom-centered prayer meetings, I would like to encourage you, find time to come. We complain about a lot of things in our world and all whatnot. But if we are not gathering together as God's people to pray that the kingdom of God be expressed, need to wonder our circumstances and situations are the way they are. You might say, oh, well, I really don't have time. Well, in our GCs, we gather together to pray as well. And in a few weeks as well, we'll be having a prayer meeting in our GCs. I would encourage you, gather together to pray. But don't just limit it to those, to those, circums- to those um, occasions. Gather together with people in your friends, in church or at work. Have some time to pray. Schedule time to pray. If we really want to see God move, if we are serious about what we say we believe, we are serious about wanting God to move, we need to be people of prayer. And that's what Jesus drives at here for us. But let's go on. Another characteristic of this true prayer, this model prayer that Jesus presents, is that this prayer acknowledges God as its source. So remember, we started with contrast of prayers, and then we are now talking about the prayer the Lord Jesus models. And a third characteristic of this model prayer is that it acknowledges God as its source. Look at verse 11. It says, give us today our daily bread. And you might see that and wonder, wow, okay, so this is really about food. I have more important needs than food. Well, the good news is that when this word bread is expressed here, it doesn't always mean only food. So we know that because, for instance, in Matthew 15, 26, a woman runs coming to Jesus, and Jesus uses the illustration. She, she wants healing, and Jesus uses a certain illustration and says that um, you shouldn't give the children's bread to dogs. By the way, just for the record, as a matter of digression, Jesus wasn't calling her a dog. If you want to know what that means, you are welcome to ask Pastor Femi during the Q&A. Um, but so you see in that, in that passage, Jesus talks about healing as bread, all right? So bread is a catch-all phrase for needs. And I like the way someone puts it. It is needs, not wants. It is needs, not their grids, right? And notice also that he says, today, give us today our daily bread. Do you know the problem? Many times we come to God in prayer 
wanting tomorrow's bread today. And we want next year's bread today. And God, really, if you can do this, I want the next 10 years' bread today. And that is not to say that we can't pray about the future, we can't pray about future, um, you know, events. But really, it's to say that the priority, God wants us to prioritize today over tomorrow. And so you find again and again in in the Bible that, um, for instance, in Hebrews 3, it says, Today, let us hearken to the, to the words of God. As long as it is today, gather together and stir up one another unto good works. God wants us to prioritize today because today is really what has been promised to us. Today is what we have, right? But then we see, again, joining all of this together, that we can come before God presenting our needs because this person recognizes that God is their source not their circumstances, not their pay, no matter how great it is, not their connection, no matter how many people they know, but God really alone is their source. And so we see flowing from this that a meditation on the otherness of God, on the holiness of God, leads us to realize, as Paul would later say, our sufficiency is of God. Citizens of the kingdom are dependent upon God for every need that they have. And by every, I mean every. And I would encourage us again, let us test ourselves. How many times do we come before God presenting every need? Do we have a hierarchy of needs? Where you look at number one to ten. Ah, I, I know this person in Abuja who can help. I know this uncle or this auntie. You know, they have some money. Um, if this job doesn't work out, I now get this one. You know, and if that one doesn't work out, I can always ask my parents for money or whatever. And then you look at number 11, you're like, ah, I need God to heal this person. It's only God that can do that one. And then you now commit that one alone to the hands of God. No, true prayer says God is the one who supplies every need. And I want us this morning as people of God, as citizens of the kingdom, to test ourselves and to ask God, that we really want him to be, or do we really want to acknowledge him as the provider of every need? But let's move on. So we've seen that this prayer is jealous for the holiness of God to be experienced personally. It's jealous for this holiness of God to be experienced publicly across the world. Acknowledges God as its source. But look at the last verse, verse 12. This prayer also acknowledges the sinfulness of the one praying. And if you are one of those people that really, why do we, do we always need to ask for forgiveness? This is your answer here in verse 12. And this is really important in this public age that we live, this age of Trumpism, where repentance is for weak people. So here, let me read something to us from um, a magazine called Politico an American political magazine, reported in 2016. In an interview with columnist Carl Thomas, Trump was asked, you have said you never felt the need to ask for God's forgiveness, and yet repentance for one's sin is a precondition to salvation. I ask you the question Jesus asked of Peter. Who do you say he is? And so here's Mr. Trump's response. I will be asking for forgiveness, but hopefully 
I won't have to be asking for much forgiveness. As you know, I am a Presbyterian and Protestant. I've had great relationships and developed even greater relationships with ministers. We have tremendous support, and I imagine him doing this or whatever funny hand gestures he does. We have tremendous supports from, support from the clergy. I think I'll be doing very well during the election with evangelicals and with Christians, Trump said, according to the transcript. Can we all just press the buzzer and say, Mr. Trump, that is the wrong answer? And if you are here and you think like that, that is also the wrong answer. Notice that this prayer is not a prayer prayed for salvation. This is not the sinner's prayer. This, rather, is the prayer of someone who has already come into the kingdom. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It's called the model prayer because Jesus shows us that the Christian life is one that is not merely characterized by repentance at its inception, but one that is characterized by repentance throughout its entirety. We know that Jesus here is talking about disciples. He's talking to believers. You know, so like we started at the introduction, um, at the first series, we saw in, 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 verse, in chapter 5, verse 1, that Jesus Christ is talking to his disciples here. So this is not a prayer for sinners. This is a prayer for all believers. This is a prayer that ought to characterize our lives. Martin Luther, the great, um, the German reformer, would say that the Christian life is one of repentance. Constantly seeing the holiness of God, recognizing our sinfulness, seeing the holiness of God, recognizing our sinfulness, seeing the holiness of God, recognizing our sinfulness. I might be saying, oh, well, I really don't commit sin. The Bible tells us that all of our righteousness is filthy rags. So sometimes we, we even need to repent of our false righteousness as well. And there's no way we can really know that unless we come in contact with the glory of God, with the person of God, constantly staring us in the face, making us to see ourselves for who we are. It's like that image from um, some of us who, who were in GC last year. Remember that image from our Gospel Center Life series where the cross, the closer you get to the cross, the bigger the cross is and you recognize, wow, what a great sinner I am. Thank God for the great Savior that Christ is. And so this is the prayer of a believer. It defines how we approach God. We do not approach God on the basis of rights. We approach him on the basis of his grace and mercy only in the cross. Notice also what he calls sin. It says sin is a debt and forgive us our debts. Sin is not a mistake. There are some of us here who don't like that word sin because he feels so negative, carries negative connotation and all that. Well, sin is not a mistake. Bible tells us sin is treason. It is a misappropriation of the glory that only belongs to God, which we've attributed to ourselves. Notice also that when, when he uses, when Jesus talks in, in verse 12, as we also have forgiven our debtors, he's not saying that we can then untwist God to say, oh, well, so I forgave this guy last week, so you have to forgive me. Rather, it's, a, it's, it's saying that inherent in the nature of forgiveness is a free grace that is offered. 
by definition, forgiveness cannot be compelled. So you can't go to someone and say, forgive me, forgive me. I put a gun to your head, you must forgive me, right? By definition, that is not forgiveness. Forgiveness must come voluntarily from the person who is giving it. And so this prayer is one that acknowledges, I have no rights, no merits, oh God. I'm simply asking that you um, exercise your free grace to me in forgiving me. And that is what true prayer is. So I want us, again, to test ourselves. Is our prayer life one that is filled with repentance? When was the last time you really repented before God? If, you, if your prayer life is one that is constantly not filled with repentance, it means it is one that is constantly not filled with acknowledging the glory of God and the holiness of God. It means it is one that does not see God for who he is in all his majesty, but one that merely sees God as you know, some nice guy up there who is ready to do your bidding at every point in time. You would notice that every person who comes in contact with the glory of God often in the Bible would often fall on their faces and say, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah would even go further for to say, I am, I am done. I am undone, rather. And some would even think that they are going to die. Why? Because there's something about the glory of God that shows us our nature as sinful people that makes us run to God constantly and ask God to help us and to change us. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He shows us prayer accepted. So we'll go to number three. Prayer accepted. If he has shown us a contrast of prayers between the hypocrites and the citizen of the kingdom, and then he has shown us how we need to pray, he shows us how prayer is accepted. Let's look at verses 6, 8, and 9. You see this word, Father, 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 Father. In the context of the Sermon of the Mountain, um, on the Mount, in fact, <laughs> the word Father is used 17 times. More than half of those times it refers to a Father in heaven or Heavenly Father. Now, to us who are sitting down here, who already know the end of the story, this might not be surprising. But to the first century person who was listening to Jesus, this, this was surprising, bordering almost on scandalous. How can you call God in heaven Father? And so we should ask ourselves, what kind of fatherhood is this? The first thing is that this fatherhood is not the fatherhood that we see in other places in the Bible, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 3. So Ephesians 3, 14 to 15, Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Heavenly Father, from whom every family on earth and in heaven is named. So here, in, in that passage, Paul is really talking about the fatherhood of God in relation to his creation. That God is creator of all. And so, for instance, we can speak of the father of modern medicine, we can speak of the father of English drama, we can speak of the father of of um, modern physics. In all those things, we are talking about their attributes as creator, as, as or in, in human, yes, pioneers of, of certain genres or certain types of study. But this is not what is here. Even in the Old Testament, you find that word father used of, about God, but it is always, almost always, in the context of God's relation with the children of Israel. So it's always a broad term. 
as, as a group. It's always a general term. So you see, for instance, in Hosea 11, verse 1, God says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Or in Exodus 4.22, God says, Israel is my firstborn, my firstborn son. And then you see it all over in, in, in the Old Testament. But all those times, God was always referring to the people of Israel. And so no Israelites would venture close to say, God is my father. Because even though God was there, God was the one they worshipped, that, that personal relationship with God had not yet come into existence. But we in Christ can call God our Father. Not just in context of city church as a body, God being the Father of city church, but that Dami can pray to God and say, God is my Father. I can pray to God and say, God is my Father. It is not just in a general sense, but has now come to us in a specific sense. So we... Um, one of the cultural things we do, particularly for those of us who grew up in the West and in, um, uh, who are Yoruba speaking, is that we look at older people and, and call them daddy, mommy. So I look at someone like Uncle Francis or Pastor Femi and say, ah, this man is old. Though. I cannot call him by his first name. I cannot even call him by his first son's name. His first son is older than me. So what do we do? We call them daddy. Big daddy. Big mommy, daddy badon, daddy eko, all these kinds of things. But the joke goes on to say that the daddy knows those who are his children. <laughs> so I can't walk up to Francis or to Pastor Femi and say, ah, daddy, well done, sir. Um, my house rent, <laughs> I tried to save, but I couldn't, um, you know, I had some issues, so please, just, just give me money. Or I ask him, daddy... <laughs> Daddy Febby, well done, sir. You are daddy in the Lord in this church. Oh. My school fees, you'll be like, eh? <laughs> I'm waiting to concern me and you. <laughs> because there is something that even though we call them daddy, we are calling them daddy and respecting them. There is no personal, familial relationship. But Jesus Christ says that God is not just our daddy in the sense of respect, that we are trying to respect him and so we call him daddy but that he's actually our daddy because something has happened. And those of us who know the end of the story know that Matthew would get to chapter 26, verse 46, and Jesus Christ will cry, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? On the cross, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, experienced the, the abandonment of God the Father so that we who are sinners might become the sons of God. And you might say, ah, that's nice. But I want something deep. I want something, like we would say, bone. Well, this is the bone. This is something deep. I love Galatians 4, 4 to 7. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we, first person, plural, um, pronoun, might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, 
but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. Brothers and sisters, we are children of God. Not just because God made us. Not just because God has been kind to give us sunshine and all these natural things. But because God in Christ has become our father. God in Christ has welcomed us in. Our firstborn, our brother, in fact, the Bible says God is our father and Jesus Christ is our brother. This is the basis of true prayer. Could it be that all the problems we have in our spiritual life, in our prayer life, is because we do not recognize that we are children of God? In fact, I would say that it is in the place of prayer that the adoption of the believer is most profoundly expressed. If you are not praying constantly, if prayer does not mark your life, it is because in some way there is an orphan ideology in our lives. So the primary problem with hypocrites is not even just that they are merely trying to impress the wrong audience, or it's not even just that they think that they can impress God with the many words they speak, but it is because they are orphans. And so orphans feel the need to perform for people and for God. Children recognize that God has performed for them in Christ. Orphans feel the need to have the reward of people. Children know that they have been in the past because of Christ and will be in the future because of Christ, rewarded by God in Christ. Orphans feel the need to impress God with their works, with their words. Children know that God is only impressed by the work of his Christ. This is what Jesus Christ presents to us here today. That prayerful citizens are not just people who strive harder, even though there might be need to have some disciplinary measure in place, to have people call on you and check on you and ask you how far, or to create a, a prayer group or a prayer cell where you guys constantly check on each other. But prayerful citizens are primarily people who are children, and because they are children, they have no choice but to call on God and cry out to God. This is the picture that is presented to us here today. And this is what Jesus Christ urges upon us as an antidote to religious hypocrisy, as an antidote to merely trying to impress people, recognize that you have been welcomed in as a child of God. I love for us to bow down our heads as we pray. In a few moments, we'll collectively respond to God's word through um, a prayer, but let's just take time out to just ask the Holy Spirit of God to search our hearts and see where adjustments need to be made in recognizing that we are no longer orphans, we are no longer slaves, but that we are now children of God. And if sons, then heirs, And so Paul would go on to say, all things are yours. Brethren, God does not hold anything back from us, but urges us to come freely in, to rush in as children of God. 
Lord, we do thank you and praise you for this great truth, O oh God, that you've impressed upon our hearts. We pray that we'll be prayerful citizens. We pray, O oh God, Lord, that we'll be true children, resting upon the Father for all that we have and need. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.